Welcome to the Five Good Ideas podcast, where we rebroadcast some of the best sessions of Maytree's popular program. My name is Elizabeth McIsaac, president of Maytree. Maytree is a Toronto-based organization committed to exploring solutions to poverty in Canada using a human rights approach. For each session of Five Good Ideas, we invite experts from the nonprofit or corporate sector to share five practical ideas on a key management issue facing nonprofit organizations today. In this session, originally recorded on June 30th, 2020, we asked Lindsay Groves and Susan Varden to share their five good ideas about fundraising in the time of the COVID-19 pandemic. In particular, how you can rethink your case for giving, innovate your approaches to communications and stewardship, as well as recover revenue from lost special events. Both presenters are from Right to Play, a global organization with programs in 15 countries. Right to Play protects, educates, and empowers children to rise above adversity using the power of play. They reach 2.3 million children each year in some of the most difficult and dangerous places on earth, helping them to stay in school and graduate, resist exploitation, overcome prejudice, prevent disease, and heal from the trauma of war. Lindsay Groves has been with Right to Play since 2008 and is the organization's Vice President for Global Partnerships. Susan Varden is the National Director at Right to Play Canada and has been in that role since September of 2019. Here are Lindsay and Susan with their five good ideas. Thank you so much for the introduction, Elizabeth, and hello to everyone on the line. Uh, Susan and I are so happy to be with you today. The last few months have been um, a very challenging period for Right to Play, like for many, with massive disruption to our programming and to our fundraising. And to be honest, we are still very much in the thick of it. Right to Play is a bit, I think, unique in the Canadian context because we are one of the few international humanitarian organizations that are headquartered in Canada. And we deliver programming, as Elizabeth said, in Africa, Asia, the Middle East, but we also deliver programming with Indigenous communities across Canada. And this creates an interesting partner mix for us. And Susan and I are here today representing the sort of two different sides of Right to Place funding model. Susan leads the team that is raising funds with the private sector, so individuals, corporations, and through special events. And I lead our global grant portfolio, including partnerships with governments and primarily institutional donors and focus more on our global work. So both types of funding have really uh, necessitated new models and new approaches in light of COVID. Some of these have commonalities and some don't. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about those with you today. So with that, I'll hand it over to Susan to get us started on our idea number one. Thanks, Lindsay, and good afternoon to everyone. Our first good idea is that we all need to evolve our cases for giving. The world has changed, and as a result, how we present the relevance of our organizations to our donors must also change. Now, I'm imagining that everybody on the call has already been adjusting their case for giving since COVID arrived in our world and made such a massive disruption uh, in the middle of March. Um, some of the organizations on the phone may be frontline organizations, and it was really obvious what you were going to do given COVID because you needed money to purchase ventilators or you were accessing food to provide um, to those on the front line. But many of us had to look at our missions and how we deliver programs and think about how is COVID going to impact how we execute against our mission. 
Um, this is a really, really critical first step because that's actually what our donors want to know. Um, they want to know how are you making a difference during this difficult time. Um, as Lindsay made reference to, uh, our Right to Play was a really important program pivot as we tried to figure out how are we going to execute with all the schools all around the world shut. I don't know about others on the phone, but I ended up receiving a few solicitations from organizations at the end of March who said they desperately needed my money um, because of COVID, but there wasn't really any clarity as to what they were going to do with it. And I found that a little frustrating. So when you're thinking about revising your case for giving, as is always the case, you want to be honest and clear about your role. Um, and I think actually now that we are slightly moving out of the intense first phase of COVID, um, understanding and making the case for relevance for your organization in the new world order, now that we appear to be self-distancing for, for an extended period of time, how is that going to impact your program in the long term? And these are big questions that need to be carefully thought through by the leadership of your organization and shouldn't be delegated to someone who is being maybe in your marketing department or your marketing person uh, to figure out. So as is always the case, your case of support needs to say three things, who you are and what you do, why you're unique and exceptional at what you do, and every, any evidence you have that says this is the case. And then lastly, why it is urgent that your donors stay with you on this journey. And I am imagining for many of us, we could feel the urgency in terms of why we needed donors to stay with us. And we had to be able to communicate that in a compelling way. Know that when you're revising your case, you're always going to have a, lots of different types of people that are reading your case that you're trying to engage. Some like data where they've got hard evidence that what you're saying is actually true. Other people like stories of lives um, that have been changed as a result of your work. And I think during this uh, pandemic, trying to conceive of the impact of, of COVID-19 on people and how your services are really making a difference um, has been something that's been really important to donors. So I think it's always been true, but more than ever, uh, people are looking for a connection to one another and our organizations provide that connection. Um, and your case for support needs to tell that story. And I think, you know, there was a time when people and organizations felt that they should get a beautiful, glossy case for support and they could use it for five years. I don't think that's the case anymore. And I think for now, you need to be able to revise your relevance case and your case for giving um, as things change. Um, involve your donors and your volunteers as you're evolving your case. These are people that care deeply about your organizations. They give to your organization. Test with them. Um, and if it feels tough, just know that it is tough for all of us because it does require creativity and, and really does require your leadership to be thoughtful about how the work's going to proceed moving forward. Um, I'm you know, proud of how hard the teams working in the field at Right to Play have been in terms of pivoting our responses. And um, I think it took some time to figure out what that was gonna look like. And sometimes for the fundraising team, who just wants to get out there and fundraise. Um, they, they just wanna know, okay, what is it? But actually doing, taking the time to figure out what your work of the organization is going to be, um, and then building the case from that is, is critical. So um, I, do, I do think that, as I mentioned earlier, there's probably many of us that may need to be continuing to revise that case for giving. Um, and as the new world order is, is looking at extended social distancing, um, and then some real reckonings and discussions that are happening as it relates to race. These are tough and important conversations for all of our organizations. 
um, that will result in in interesting and ever-evolving cases for giving. Our next good idea is about staying close to family. And when I say family, I mean your board members, I mean your top 10 or 20 individual or corporate donors, or your top institutional donors. So matter, no matter the size of your organization, there's probably 10 or 20 people or organizations that really make sure your organization ticks. And everyone on this webinar knows the importance of engagement at any time. Um, and you know whether those are donors, whether those are prospects who you want to be donors, engaging them is the tough stuff. Um, and generally for organizations, figuring out ways to engage volunteers and donors in your mandate can be tough. Um, well, along came COVID. And I think all of us are trying to figure it out about one foot in front of the other and how to raise some money. And I would really, really challenge you, and I'm sure most of you are, um, engage in conversations with those that are closest to you. Use them as sounding boards for your ever-evolving case for giving. I know at Right to Play, the Canadian Advisory Board really dug in and they wanted to talk every week about our case for giving. They wanted to talk every week about what our fundraising pivot was gonna be. Um, and that was both challenging and exciting for me um, uh, because it gave me an opportunity for deeper engagement. Uh, I think don't wait until you've got it all planned um, engage them while you're while you're evolving, um, because those conversations and that engagement is actually just very very uh, good stewardship. It's also an interesting time to talk to those closest to you, not only about their own giving, but maybe there's people that they know that um, are being moved by COVID and are seeing the work that you, your organization does as being relevant. So it can be an opportunity to be talking about prospecting with people. Um, and, and help you understand who are those people you can go to for special tasks. Um, so it is a tough time for fundraisers for sure to be prospecting um, because people seem to be sort of trenching in. So I would really recommend that um, take the time, make sure you've got it in your weekly calendar that you're spending time talking to your um, donors and closest friends. I, I spoke to someone who um, leads a, an interesting arts organization in the city and she was saying that her board fundraising committee had not been very active for some time and she was finding it challenging. And yet when she engaged them in conversations about what are some possible different scenarios for our organization to be relevant moving forward, they really opened up and they were given the opportunity to be forthright and passionate about what it is that excites them about the organization. Um, and she really felt that this was uh, allowing that her relationship and, and those volunteers to really um, feel that they were in the middle of things. Um, the challenge will be keeping that level of engagement going, but I'm hopeful we'll, we're all up to it. Uh, but over to Lindsay uh, for a couple of uh, comments on the grants. So yeah, think. you know, on the grant side of our business, I think it was actually quite similar, this idea of keeping family close. And that for us, there was really probably only a handful of partners who had the capacity and I would say the commitment to us to make any sort of special operating grant, which is the kind of revenue that, that we were needing. You know, grant funding is traditionally very programmatic. And at this time we were really needing support for our operations. Um, so we went to our most trusted partners and we opened up very honestly about the impacts of COVID on right to place financial health. But at the same time, we also tried to demonstrate, I would say, like prudent financial 
planning and stability. Um, and it's a difficult balance to strike and one that we struggled with a little bit at first, but I think we ended up finding our groove in that you need to, on one hand, express the urgency of the crisis and the profound financial impacts. And in some cases, very much like existential crisis to organizations. Um, and so you need to express that need. But at the same time, you need to give partners the confidence in your viability. Um, and so this was the conversation we began. And I think our key factor for success here was that we really only approach this small group, this family who really believe in our work and care deeply about the longevity of the organization. And by engaging them in a very honest discussion about the challenges we were facing, we were able to steward these partners, which is important in and of itself, as Susan was, was speaking to, but we were also able to actually raise new funds to support our work, which, which was of most critical importance. Um, okay, so next up, our third good idea is to get creative with your grant portfolio. As I mentioned at the beginning of the call, uh, Right to Place funding model includes restricted government and institutional foundation grants. And for many of these partners, as I'm sure many know, uh, securing grants can take a lot of time. The process of responding to an RFP and developing the proposal and the budget, negotiating a contract. For us, it often takes upwards of 12 months. But Right to Play uh, needed to immediately manage the effects of COVID now. And so a strategy for us was to actually look at our grant portfolio and leverage our current you know, suite of grants and seek to renegotiate, essentially raising funds from within the current grant portfolio. So to begin, uh, we actually went grant by grant and asked ourselves three questions. Um, one, were there any grants that we could make more flexible? Can we make requests to unrestrict or loosen restrictions in order to improve how the organization can use the grant? Um, perhaps helping support operational costs, for example. And for those donors, we built a case. We then looked at, um, secondly, are there any grants that come at a cost to the organization where, again, where we can renegotiate? So for instance, for Right to Play, a handful of our grants have a matching requirement. So in other words, we only secure that grant when supporting or complementary funds are raised. And we realized if we could negotiate down those contractual match requirements, we could probably actually instead redirect our fundraising efforts. So again, we built a case for this request. And I would say surprisingly, of the four requests made, all of them were approved. Um, which after spending the last 12 years working with a lot of these, you know, rigid, uh, very structured uh, partners, I was really surprised um, and very, you know, uh, very happy with the, that degree of flexibility. Um, and then third, lastly, what we looked at is, could we negotiate our admin or our indirect cost rate? So as everyone on the call knows, the administrative fees that um, some donors pay are critically important to the overall viability of an organization as it supports all of our core operating, our running costs. And when Right to Play started to revise our revenue projections for 2020, we actually noticed a, a very significant concern that, you know, uh, we only receive our administrative fee from our grants as funds are spent. And suddenly, 
many of our programs are halted and so spending has stopped and so our ability to recognize that admin that's so important to operational you know viability has also stopped so again we needed to get creative make a case and actually engage our donors in a discussion around flexibility instead of paying our admin or indirect costs as a percentage of our spending would they consider switching to a flat fee so collectively, all these negotiations actually had as much of an impact as bringing in new donor dollars, and even our most strict donors were actually easing restrictions. So leveraging these relationships, leveraging these partnerships to ensure maximum flexibility of your grant portfolio um, can be a key strategy to consider. Over to Susan for number four. So everyone could have guessed this one. Um, about reframing your special events program. So I'm guessing there's a number of people on this webinar who are looking at substantial revenue holes in their 2020 projections because of your inability to host large events. I will tell you that Right to Play is in the exact same dripping, sinking boat. So that's, it's, I, I feel your pain. Um, and replacing in-person events with virtual events is happening. Um, I think there's some that have been really successful. I think some have been less successful. The jury is out as to whether uh, we will be able to raise sufficient dollars with our virtual events. Uh, we're doing a variety of different virtual um, events, hoping for increased engagement. And I think, you know, using these new virtual events as alternate sponsorship properties for those who have been longtime sponsors of your more traditional events, um, I think is a very good step forward and we are seeing some decent results from doing that. There's lots of creative ideas out there. One of the ones that really caught my eye was in early June. It was a virtual Bali Fit class organized by um, the UN uh, High Commission for Refugees. They were raising awareness for the recent World Refugee Day while also having a fun, unique fitness class where they were going to talk about conditions in a region of the world where they program. Um, someone else I know is looks after the fundraising program at ALS Canada. They've got a series of walks that happen in different communities across the country. Uh, 33 walks that go on between May and September and they raise about 30% of their annual revenue or $2 million from those walks. Um, so they decided about three months ago that they would make all of those walks happen on the same day. That was going to be June 21st. It coincided with ALS Global Awareness Day. They had a virtual start line at nine o'clock in the morning that was pre-recorded and then they had a closing ceremony at 11. They had three months to organize it and they engaged all of their community champions and top fundraisers from the different communities. Um, there was really a razor sharp focus from their team on making sure their fundraising and marketing and data support teams were all focused on the single, single deliver, deliverable. Um, and they're surprised and delighted to have raised $1.2 million from that single day. So I, I was pretty impressed and thought that one was worth sharing. Another reality that we're all feeling is that people are possibly getting a little burnt out from being on Zoom calls all day long. Um, and so I would caution about putting too many resources into um, exclusively organizing virtual events. One of the things that we um, have heard, at least from our volunteers, is that the big events are going to be about the last thing to come back. Um, we had volunteers say that they can't imagine um, having their corporate employees going into a room of over a thousand people until there's a vaccine. So that's a really big shift for the sector. 
Um, and hopefully we're all able to take advantage of it. I spoke to someone who runs a pretty big fundraising program in the city and she felt that the pandemic was giving her an opportunity to refocus her fundraising staff who had traditionally been very events focused um, and refocus them on relationships and conversations with engaging donors. And she was hoping it was gonna be an opportunity to shift their program in the direction that she knows is the right one long-term. I guess most importantly, as is always the case in fundraising, we wanna get out there and ask. So if you've got people that have been buying tickets to your events year over year and coming to your, uh, to your organization's events, they probably love your organization and they're just used to do, engaging with you by buying a table or buying a ticket to your event. But you wanna make sure that if you're not having that event, that you get creative about how you're going to renew their support. And, and at very minimum, an e-solicitation, but, but doing it right and making them feel like they can continue to be part of your family is really important. Um, the next and final uh, good idea that we have is the importance of leveraging technology to advance relationships. So I am guessing every single one of you has been using some type of virtual conference call um, to bring your donors together, whether that's for webinars or updates, meeting experts from the field, meeting recipients of service. Um, so sharing information about your programming and your impact. I would also highly recommend that if you haven't started to use um, Zoom, I'm just going to keep using Zoom as the reference tool, um, but using Zoom for one-on-one -on -one stewardship, even one-on-one -on -one solicitations. Um, I don't know about you, but I have found it's been interesting because you can have a more almost intimate kind of relaxed conversation in some ways when you're got to, you're in your home office, they're in their t home office and you're just talking versus if there's a boardroom table between you um, that can sometimes serve to be a little intimidating. We've also um, found ourselves uh, outreaching to people that have not been wanting to see us face to face, but all of a sudden they're open to have a, having a Zoom call, which is great. Uh, Lindsay, did you want to speak yeah. to yeah, I mean, it's so interesting. I think as an example, last month, Right to Play co-hosted a policy dialogue um, as a part of our role as co-chair of the Canadian International Education Policy Group. And the dialogue was initially planned in person, of course, um, but was moved online. And because of the new structure, we were actually able to include participation from the Minister of International Development and leadership from two of the largest global education donors for the entire two-hour session. And I think had it have actually been planned and executed in person, their attendance would probably uh, not have happened. Or if it had, it may have been limited. And um, so actually using the online platform had a huge advantage in order to push this policy dialogue forward. And not only that, after the dialogue, we're able to continue engagement, set up follow-up meetings with these key education donors. Um, and we actually found them incredibly responsive, immediately responding, willing to set up Zoom calls with our CEO. So now is actually, I think, the time to reach out. Those people who you might thought were not reachable may in fact be more so than, than you may have previously considered. Great, thanks. Um, one, someone I spoke to was commenting about how it's actually fun to be able to experiment with new approaches in terms of engaging donors using these virtual tools because it doesn't cost us anything. So um, pre-social distancing, 
you could try an event that had an interesting kind of food and an interesting speaker, but it might cost you $5,000 to put on that event. Well, we can't do that anymore. Um, and so I would say try new things, different things, uh, and be creative. Uh, I would also say that one thing about the digital engagement, it does flatten the world. So we um, at Right to Play were putting together what we thought was a pretty great webinar panel for our donors. And it was really originally only, only going to be for our top donors. But once we had the thing organized, we realized it was silly to only have our top donors because we had the thing organized. We might as well invite all our monthly donors as well, which we did and lots came out. Um, so taking advantage of the digital tools to access as many as you can is, is a really important piece. The only other thing I wanna add as it relates to technology is technology is always supposed to be our ally um, with donor segmentation. So um, I'm hopeful that all of you have got um, your donors in different segments. And I think most organizations, when they look at their mass market donors, have um, got digital tools as being really the primary way that they're engaging, cultivating and stewarding those mass market donors. Um, so now that we've got digital available for our mid-level and our major gift donors, how do you build on those? And how do you make sure that um, technology is allowing you to also get that much more um, customized and intimate with your major gift, with your major gift donors? Um, I also think technology can help you perhaps get even more precise with your segmentation, depending on how well you know your major gift donors. I uh, heard about one organization who is further segmenting their major donors into different groups or as it relates to the financial impact that the donor has um, is, is experiencing as a result of COVID. So there'd be one group where actually, although COVID has them working at home, um, their income hasn't really changed and their family net worth hasn't really changed. Um, where there may be other major donors, where there is a very significant impact on their family income as a result of COVID. You know, if you own a restaurant chain or you are in commercial real estate um, and that's one of your big prospects, you might just wait a little bit before making a big ask. So those are the five good ideas that we wanted to present to you today. You might deem them five average ideas. Maybe you have five great ideas. We'd love to hear what they are. I will say for sure, we do not have it all figured out. We're trying our best and um, trying to be creative. Uh, I think what we all know now is that to be successful, we have to be creative. We have to be open to new ways. And fundamentally, we have to support one another as we make our way through this period of time. Um, and hopefully all of our organizations can remain financially viable so that we can continue to do good work in our community. So that's it from us. Over to you, Elizabeth. Well, I thought that was terrific. Thank you both so much. And already in the Q&A line, it's, these have been deemed to be great ideas. So you've surpassed the bar. Thank you. <laughs> um, I want to pick up, you finished with sort of major donors and, and a lot of the implication was individual donors. Um, one of the questions that came near the end was, um, what are the corporate sponsor benefits that you're seeing emerge in this new world order, particularly as it relates to events? So a lot, a lot of times at events, that's, that's a big revenue source. How do you reposition that? What are they asking for that might be different? How do you, uh, or is that just something that you no longer look at and you look at other ways of engaging the corporate uh, sponsorship? Good question. Hard answer. Um, I would say 
we have um, we're just closing up actually a virtual engagement event called play it forward and the corporates were really excited about that because they're dying for things to engage their employees on that are not is not just work so i think employee engagement's always been important if you've got an event where um, you can go to your corporate partners and corporate sponsors with something that's meaningful for their employees to engage fantastic um, we're also going to be having a play quiz which is sort of a sports quiz virtual night later on in october um, there's six people on these virtual teams and we had a bunch of corporates that were excited because they said you know we used to be able to take our clients to um sports games and, and be in our skybox or whatever they're now called um and they can't do that anymore and so they thought it would be a fun way to engage with their clients um we're also doing we're trying to put together um some facebook live segments um with some of our ambassador athletes where there's going to be some digital content that's available for the sponsors to be able to use in their intranet so that they can be talking to their employees um, about the impact they're having in the community so so we tried to come up with a few and um, you know the jury's out in terms of how it's all going to go but i would say employee engagement client engagement um, ability to tell the story about their uh, investments in the community those are the things the corporates were saying to all of us a year ago and now how we deliver on that is just a little bit different Okay. There's a couple of specific questions, but before we get to that, I want to sort of ask the twisted question, the, uh, the opposite of what you've just done for the last 20 minutes, which is you've talked about all the things that are working well, that are likely to sort of help get through this period. Have you tried anything that didn't work? Is there a bad idea or just, <laughs> not that you don't have to tell all, but, <laughs> but they always learn more from people's mistakes. Is there anything that you would sort of reach into and say, try that, don't do that? Lindsay, are you going to go first? <laughs> I can start. I can start. I mean, Susan and I actually talked a little bit about this, and we were both saying uh, prospecting new business development um, is actually something that has not been working well for us. I can say again on the on the grant side, there were a few partners that were in the in our pipeline that sort of like medium higher probability or partners we've been looking at, and when we did the outreach, what we've heard a lot of is. You know, we're not taking on any new partners right now or we're redirecting funds towards covid response or we're not sure if we're going to redirect so we're pausing and we're going to revisit these you know applications later in the year so for us what it has meant is actually it's sort of re-emphasizing one of the good ideas around this stay close to family it's this is going to be the time that's actually maybe not where prospecting isn't the best use of time, like new outreach for, for brand new partners may be challenging and actually putting your, your effort and energy more towards stewardship and more towards, you know, engaging your core group of donors might be better well spent. I would just echo Lindsay entirely on, in, on the private sector side. Um, I have heard of some organizations that are really trying to make a big push on prospecting right now. And I, tip my hat to them and say, you know, I'll be interested to see how it goes. I think it's hard enough right now to retain our existing donors, um, let alone prospecting. I say that now, and what are we, three months into this? And we will, we, we can't stop prospecting. So um, we're pausing on it, but we will be back working with our volunteers to try to engage new people just because we'll have to. 
Um, but I wouldn't say leading with prospecting is a good idea right now. Work with your current relationships. Yeah. Uh, one of the early questions, and I think it was Susan while you were doing the, the, your first good idea, was a question about um, revising message. And, and this person was asking, how do you revise your message when you had planned to expand services, had built a reserve fund, um, but now COVID is hit? So you've, you've got more money than you want to have in asking in this moment. Is, so from a financial perspective, you may not look like you're in dire need um, compared to other charities. Is that an issue? Or how do, you, how do you manage that in terms of what you're putting out to prospective uh, funders or current funders? Wow, that's such a good question. Um, and I'm hoping your board is answering that question. Um, but I'll try. I think um, what I heard the question saying is that you're hoping to expand your programming. If you can continue to expand your programming and the and have impact and you've got the money to do it. Great. I always think that a really big reserve fund. I think, you know, many donors don't see it or don't do their homework and look and they'll keep giving you money. I, as a donor myself, if an organization was going to approach me for a significant amount of money, if they have, if, you know, I think this is a time um, that a reserve fund is for to some extent. Um, but, but um, I think what your board decides to do, what the leadership team decides is the right thing to do. This could be the time for you to spend down your reserve fund a little bit if your organization is delivering on in a niche space that is is super critical um, given the circumstances we're living in. Not sure and if I answered that. I think, and just to add to, I mean, um, the other thing I would say, we, you know, we approached one of our, our close partners to ask for a special operating grant. And when we made that ask, we were also clear and we spoke about the reserves that we have as an organization, but we also spoke about how we don't want to dig in like we don't want to drain them <laughs> because we don't know what 2021 looks like and we don't know what 2022 looks like so educating your donors around why it's important to have a reserve and why that actually might make you you know more nimble and more sustainable in the long run you know having a reserve is a good thing i think sometimes you, you might just have to really engage your partners and why that is and that could actually help out and say maybe lend some credibility to your to your ask that you make because your partner knows that they're then investing and supporting an organization that might be around in the long run. So, so you touched on a, another question, which I think is a, a good high level question, which is, you know, we don't know what's going to happen in 2021 as, as you're thinking forward. So you're getting through, we're in the middle of, of, of crisis right now. We're not on the other side of it yet. Uh, what are your expectations for 2021 and how are you planning and preparing for, the year ahead going forward? That's another good question. Um, I think that um, none of us have that crystal ball, um, but it is likely that we are going to be living in continued social distancing. So I think um, we are making a decision to focus on individual giving. 85% um, I think it is of all philanthropy comes from individuals relationships um, are everything in fundraising. I would focus more on individual giving than corporate giving myself, just because I think um, if, and I'm sure we all do read the business section every day, you know, the future is uncertain as it relates to the corporate planet. Um, so I think really focusing on individual giving, um, 
makes a lot of sense. Uh, I wouldn't spend tons of time organizing really big um, events, for at least for the first half of 2021. Um, so I think really focusing on individuals makes lots of sense, given um, where we're at. But even having said that, we know it is likely that economic uncertainty will continue. Um, so I would be hopeful that we could all be perhaps more modest and conservative with our 2021 goals than we might have all had when we started out 2020. Lindsay? Um, yeah, you know, I think on the grant side for us looking at 2021, what's most important is looking at your program models and how those are being delivered and what your donors are going to expect to see. So, you know, we've already started to get questions from some of our partners, things that we had in the pipeline, let's say, to start 2021. Questions like, well, you need to make sure that you have a very clear distance learning strategy now. You need to ensure that you have a very clear approach for your teacher training, that you're using technology and program direction that we might you know, not have gone otherwise. And so what it's meant, I think, on the grant side is our donors are going to be looking more around risk, right, and making sure that our programs are responsive, that we can, um, you know, go move from a, a lockdown to an opening up stage and that our programs can can respond to that environment becomes really critical so i think susan you talked a little bit about this in the in the first good idea like your program and your fundraising team needs to be like more in lockstep than ever before because of how quickly everything is changing and how how much your fundraising team needs to be working on the program side um, in order to be able to, you know, continue to evolve your fundraising strategies, your program strategies evolving. Um, we only have about three minutes left. So I'd like it if, if each of you could comment a little bit. I mean, both of you are seasoned professionals in your in your space. Susan, you go, you've been fundraising for years. We talked about you joining United um, uh, Right to Play just recently, but you've been you've been doing this for many, many years. Um, and Lindsay, you've also been working on the program side for many, many years. Has anything happened in the last three months that surprised you, uh, that was that really challenged you to sort of reach in deep, deeper, to sort of um, apply everything that you've learned to sort of reconfigure? I mean, you've talked, I think some of the stuff around special events is probably the biggest curveball <laughs> um, that we've gone into a virtual world and you really have to innovate around that. But is anything in the, in the relationships or what have you that, um, that took you by surprise or that um, you sort of have really kind of innovated your own practice on? Susan, do you want to start? Do you want me to start? You've already started, so why don't you go for it? <laughs> um, I mean, I think I, I think as you sort of pointed it out, the events, some of the curveballs came more on on event fundraising and around like individual giving, especially mass market type of fundraising. On the grant side for us, I would say I think our our um, our time will likely come next year, 2021. I think a lot of our funding on grants, you know, you secure them in advance, you, you know, got your portfolio. Um, I think we've seen it somewhat stable this year. And I think, you know, alluding to what we talked about a little bit earlier, 2021 for us is going to be a time where we might see more, um, you know, revenue going into vaccine development. The Canadian government rightfully so, just made, you know, a big investment in vaccine development and healthcare system strengthening. So if you're not, if your program's not aligned to those priorities, 
it's going to, could be a challenge. You know, some of the grant funding you might typically see and the renewals you might typically see might change. And so for us, I think what's probably most surprising is now really thinking about um, and building out new ways and new partners that we can look at come 2021 when that environment gets a little bit more um, tight. Um, I think, I think there's been so much to it that has been a curveball. Um, I'm used to being someone that's involved in fundraising that brings people together to get them excited and mobilize around a cause um, and where you've got leaders inviting other leaders and everyone gets really excited and motivated to be part of giving to a cause and, and right to plays work is so fantastic and the impact that we're having both in Indigenous communities um, with our partners there as around well as around the world it really is very transformational and so I would say I find it challenging when we can't bring people together um, and we can and we are virtually and I've tried to speak up all the speak to the benefits of it uh, in one of those good ideas but factually it's also different and hard and so gathering people in the backyard uh, or in someone's boardroom is kind of off limits right now. So I think trying to figure out ways to rally people um, is, is going to continue to be interesting. And I think, you know, the summer's here, the weather's great. People will probably be doing less Zoom. If we all get, you know, another lockdown in the fall and we're back inside, are we going to be, is this Zoom thing going to be our only lifeline so we go for it? Or are we going to be just like, ugh? I can't do it anymore. I don't know. Um, but I do think convening people, convening people and their friends, getting people excited about doing amazing things with their money, which is what gifts to philanthropy really are. Um, I, I find that challenging. And that's kind of, I wouldn't say all I know, but it's so how I'm used to leading. Um, and so I would say that is, we'll see where that, where that all goes. Any final, we're, at, we're, at, we're just past 145 um, and we promised people that we will wrap by 145 so they can get back to what they were doing. Um, any is that good for a final comment from both of you or is there anything else you'd like to add? I think just uh, stay calm, carry on, put your best foot forward, be good to one another um, and remember that it's so much more about the people whose lives we're trying to impact. It's not about us, it's about them. And so we really do have a responsibility to the community to be really good at what we do. Um, so try not to get disheartened uh, and good luck. No, that's great. Completely agree. And I think um, one of the wonderful things to see come out of this crisis has been how the charitable sector has really come together and supported each other. And I think there's a lot we can all learn from each other and we're not always so intentional about doing that. So this forum, others, you know, Susan talked a lot of great examples about what other organizations are doing. There's so much we can learn from each other. So the more you can learn from what others are doing well and from the mistakes that we're all making, the better we're gonna be for it. So thank you. Thank you. Uh, there were more questions we didn't get to in the chat room. Some of them are very specific to their, to their context. And so I think you've laid a lot of groundwork on the principles of, of what you bring to specific cases of, of challenges in the fundraising area. And there's also a reminder to everybody that there are five good resources uh, as part of the handout for today's session that, that Susan and Lindsay have recommended. 
uh, to, to dig into and to look at as you innovate around your, your fundraising strategies. As we know, these are always going to be somewhat idiosyncratic to your organization, to the issue that you're working on, to the, to the subsector that you're working within and, and the particularities of, of how your resources come together. So um, I think you've given us tons to work with. Uh, thank you so much to Susan and Lindsay. A really wonderful presentation. Thank you for listening to Five Good Ideas with Lindsay Groves and Susan Varden. We link to the Five Good Ideas, resources, and a full transcript of the session in our show notes. You can find all of our Five Good Ideas sessions from past seasons on the Maytree website at maytree.com forward slash five dash good dash ideas. And you can subscribe to the Five Good Ideas podcast to continue to listen to our best sessions. See you next time.